Consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am your host, Classic, and I am here with my co-host. Gypsy, and today we have Dr. Mitchell Yas, and he is the creator of the Yas Method for diagnosing and treating chronic pain. He developed his method over 20 years of treating thousands of patients, resolving their pain and returning them to full functional capacity. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure having you. So I guess um, to get started, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So my personal life ended up intersecting with my professional life. And um, as a child, I was the 99-pound weakling, the guy who had sand kicked in his face all the time, a lot of self-esteem issues. And I recognized that the reason I was so unhappy was I was this thin guy and I was going to try to change that by weightlifting. And I tried to follow this classic styles, the Joe Weider stuff and the Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff. And from 19 to 26, I tried, but it just didn't take. And then at 26, I had remembered that I had taken a high school physics course and recognized that weightlifting really is just moving weights, which are force vectors. And if you apply fulcrum arms and levers and all these physics type processes, you could actually learn how to optimize your ability to move the weight. And so over the next four, uh, four years, I put on 40 pounds of muscle. I went from 160 pounds to 200 pounds. Wow. Just as this time was coming to an end, I was a project manager in construction and I wasn't finding it very fulfilling. So I wanted to get another career. And I found out about this thing called physical therapy. And it was good because you didn't need the full level of education of a physician, but you'd be working on people's bodies. And so I decided to go towards that and I was accepted. And kind of in the process of the education, I started hearing things that just didn't make a lot of sense about what was causing pain and how it was being identified. And so as I was getting out of school, I had decided that the symptoms people were experiencing were not the symptoms you would expect if the diagnosed cause arthritis or herniated disc stenosis was to cause pain. They're not having pain where it should be if that was causing pain. They're having it someplace else. And so through this process of understanding, I start to realize in 98% of the cases I'm treating, the cause of pain is muscle. It's mm -hmm. actually a mus muscle responsible for the pain they're experiencing. And so quite fortunately, I had developed this four years of understanding how to strength train. And so I started applying these laws of weightlifting to these people. And in the next treatment, two or three treatments, they're pain-free and fully functional. Mm -hmm. And I had recognized I had hit on something very unique and highly accurate. And then over the last 28 years, 29 years have worked on just perfecting its understanding and trying to spread it to as many people as possible. So where's the misdiagnosis coming from? So the primary basis by which people get diagnosed is the MRI, right? Everyone who's in pain, neck, shoulder, knee, whatever, you get an MRI. Now the MRI is designed to find a structural variation. Let's say at the knee, if there was a meniscal tear, it's going to find that. If there's arthritis, it's going to find that. The thing to understand is that what you're being told is that just because the arthritis or the meniscal tear is found at the time of your pain for the first time, it is asserted to be the cause of the pain. Hmm. That's called correlative theory. That says that 
if I open my front door when the sun rises, I could say opening my front door causes the sun to rise, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's attempting to create correlation, not causation. That arthritis or that meniscal tear may have been there for decades prior. I don't know. You're only finding it for the first time because you just had the MRI for the first time. And what I found was that where the person was having the pain wasn't where it should be if a meniscal tear was to cause pain or if arthritis was to cause pain. They're literally pointed to a place. Oftentimes, they're pointing to a muscle. So it becomes hard to accept. Well, if they're pointing at a muscle and then I press on the muscle and I bring on the symptom they're experiencing, how could you say it's not the muscle? And then I massage it, stretch it, and strengthen it, and they're pain-free and fully functional. So now we have not just a theoretical basis, but the actual empirical evidence. Um, They're having a symptom. I'm suggesting the cause is this based on the presentation of the symptoms. I perform some sort of treatment to this tissue, and the symptoms resolve fully. That's very strongly an indication of causation. And I just multiplied it over 28 years, thousands of times. And it's just absolutely incredibly accurate and very effective. So why can't they, um, I, be, I guess most doctors still say that it's not the tissue uh-oh, or it's not the muscle. Why can't they clearly see that? Great question. This is, so just try to understand this concept. Let's say you're having pain right here, right? This is your upper trap region. And let's say you're having pain and I'm literally pressing on this spot and you're like, yes, that is the pain. That's called the levator scapula. That's a muscle. So the muscle strains and elicits pain. Would that show up on an MRI? No. Okay. If the kneecap is misaligned and is running in a way it shouldn't because there's weakness or imbalance of the muscles that attach to the kneecap and move the kneecap, would that show up on an MRI? No. If you have numbness in your hand after you've slept on your shoulder because a muscle in the rotator cuff has strained and referred symptoms to your hand, does that show up on an MRI? No. If a muscle in your butt strains because you're having weight-bearing issues and impinges on the sciatic nerve and creates sciatica, does that show up on an MRI? No. So what I've shown is those four mechanisms of, of causing pain muscularly account for 98% of the cases of people having pain. So the cause, which is muscle, can never show up on an MRI, but structural variations, whether causing pain or not, always show up on an MRI. So how that's do, the confusion. How do you identify um, the muscle pains? I guess. Good. So let's talk about, say, this muscle again. We're going to go back to this muscle. Let's say that the muscle's strained. One of the things that might happen with the muscle straining is it's going to shorten. Well, since it's attached to the shoulder blade on this side, if it were to strain and elicit pain, you might end up having your shoulder higher on that side. So an indication of a muscular cause is altered posture. So let's say someone's having pain in the lower back region, kind of centralized, could be off to the side an inch or two from their spine. But you notice they have this excessive arching in their lower back, really extreme arch. 
is someone going to be willing to say that possibly there's a connection between the pain being experienced and the altered posture? And the answer is, well, it's happening at the same place at the same time. So can't we suggest that maybe there is a connection? And the connection is that you have shortened lower back muscles due to an imbalance somewhere else, and it's causing excessive arching, and the muscle can't support the weight of your torso, so it's straining and eliciting pain. So altered posture is a clear corroborating indicator as muscle as the cause of pain. Another might, uh, indicator might be the way you move. So movement is the result of muscle contraction. So if you limp in a certain fashion or you move your arm in a certain fashion, that has to be seen as a corroborating indicator that the tissue in distress creating your pain is muscle. And it helps you to identify which particular muscles are responsible. And then through targeted strength training, you resolve the cause of both the symptom of pain and the altered posture or movement pattern problem. How does this have a um, relationship with like chiropractic um, medicine or practice? So first off, the YAS method is something I created. I have a doctorate in physical therapy. It was after I got through my uh, medical education that I recognized that the push is always towards X-ray and MRI findings and that the presentation of symptoms is telling me it's muscle. The chiropractic concept still falls in, even though it's outside the classic medical system, it still falls into the idea that for you to establish a diagnosis, you need an X-ray or MRI. So any, any medical specialty that requires diagnostic testing to identify the cause of pain is basically inciting that whatever structural variation is identified, it could have been there for decades, I'm going to say that's the cause because it's identified for the first time while you're having pain. Even when the presentation of symptoms could say it's clearly a muscle creating that pain and presenting the other corroborating symptoms. That, that's where the problem lies. So what are some common, um, common pains that you help, you've helped treat? Well, basically anything from migraine headaches to foot pain. There's, there's not one area that I haven't. And, and so let's just see if we can talk a little bit about the historical aspect of chronic pain, because I think this really is a key to have people understanding why you probably do want to think this is muscular. So chronic pain never existed in the history of mankind. It's never existed. It only began to exist after the late middle to late 1980s. Why did chronic pain begin at this time and only this time? Well, the middle 1980s was the advent of high levels of technologies, computers, automation, telephones, laptops, things of this nature. So if you ask today, what's the number one job in the world? It's IT, right? Information technology. It's relating to computers. Um, there are people who have to create the software for the computers. There are people who do security on computers. Jobs which used to be done manually, are done by computers. So as a result of this, you would see that after the late, uh, the middle to late 1980s, the types of jobs being performed, the recreational activities, everything is now being done 
through computer or automation. And as a result, it's made people more susceptible to straining their muscles when they do go on and try to do an activity. Mm. Another factor in that is that, well, if you're doing all this type of computer work or on your phone, you're sitting a lot more, right? Well, sitting is an activity that requires muscles to be at a very awkward length and could make them strain. You could strain muscles, not just because you overuse them, because you could overstretch them. So that's another component of this. So what you saw was prior to the middle to late 1980s, we saw the only people who really complained of chronic pain were old people, retired people. And they would call it rheumatism. And they would describe the fact that after they retired, they would have this pain, right? But what was unique about that? After retirement, what happens? You stop moving, right? Same concept. So what do you see happen after the middle to late 1980s? The age of people suffering from chronic pain plummets from Mm. the 60s to the 90s all the way down to the 20s. I've treated 20-year-olds who tell me that they have a bobblehead. They can't even support the weight of their head. So you create this massive, massive population of people now suffering from pain, not chronic pain, just pain, and now they're going to seek care. Well, part of that advent, ad, uh, increase in technology was what? The advent of the MRI, which prior to this, herniated dystonosis, arthritis, they couldn't be identified, but now they can. So the person's entering this gigantic population all the way down to the age of 20, and they're using a technology that only finds structural variations to justify the cause of pain. So they're going to treat those even though the cause was muscular. Well, if you constantly have a muscular deficit, you don't identify it, resolve it, you're going to continue to strain and elicit pain. That's what leads to the chronic pain epidemic that we've had for over 40 years now. Wow. Misdiagnosis. Yeah. Sounds like it's a pattern in the medical industry. (laughs) So I don't, I, I, I want to make it very clear. I'm not attacking anybody. I'm just a science guy. I am a logician. This is where my logic was directed. This was my second career. And I only see things from a logical perspective. I don't see things as medical or not. Things are just either logical and make sense or they don't. And I went to medical school like everybody else. And I think that it is very common for the human to go to school and assume that what they're being taught is correct. And it's been taught the same way all this time. So just accept it as fact and treat based on that. And you, I don't necessarily think you could blame anybody for that, right? I mean, I, I think it's hard to blame somebody for that. I guess my concern is when the failure rate for back surgery is something like 70 to 80%. The medical establishment creates the diagnosis failed back surgery syndrome, which is to say you had surgery and yet the pain you experienced prior to the surgery is the same, if not greater after. So I'm just going to say, I don't know why you're having that after I gave you the surgery. So I make a diagnosis of failed back surgery syndrome. The word syndrome implies a group of symptoms without an understanding of its cause. Mm -hmm. Right. Then what happened shortly after this chronic pain epidemic? You got the opioid epidemic, right? Mm -hmm. That came in the middle 1990s. Why then? 
Why did everyone start? Well, because you had this massive population that suddenly were in pain. We can't resolve the cause because we can't identify the cause properly. So we have to do something to what? Try to mask the symptoms. Mm -hmm. And who comes through for that? Well, clearly the pharmaceutical industry. This is their opportunity. They have this massive, massive population that has never existed before. And they're looking for a way of masking symptoms. Okay, well, we'll create opioids. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. When you see things from a chronological perspective, things don't happen arbitrarily. Things (laughs) happen one on top of the next on top. It's reactionary. Life is typically reactionary. And so someone first has to say, well, why chronic pain? Why now? And what are, what are the reasons behind that? And if you can't get to that, how do you resolve the chronic pain epidemic? If you can't understand its etiology, how do you resolve it? How do you address it? You don't. And that's what you see 40 years down the road. The number of people from suffering from chronic pain, just to put this in perspective, 130 million Americans, that's one out of every three, One billion people worldwide, one out of every seven people in the world suffering from chronic pain. And the number has never gone down over the past 40 something years. Something's wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even me, I've personally had an MRI before and they've told me I have a herniated disc um, in my lower back, basically. But it's a place that always needs massaging. And I know (laughs) the chiropractor was basically like, you need to lose weight. Um, and that was the solution. Well, I'm not a necessarily a fan <laughs> of that, that I don't think that's a justification. So if you want to look at logic, and I'll teach you logic, if he says you need to lose weight, then by definition, everyone who weighs the same as you or greater should have the same exact symptom. Mm. And the answer is that's not true. That's true. I guarantee you there are people who are three or four or 500 pounds who don't have the exact symptom as you. So how could you say your weight is the cause of your symptom? You can't. It's illogical. Yeah. The pain you're experiencing is from your left lower back muscle. And I will suggest to you that one of your hip muscles is weak and you, when you're standing, you have to stabilize yourself, right? Gravity's pushing down on you and muscles have to push up on gra- against gravity or you fall down on the floor, right? So you have muscles that push up to stabilize the pelvis and you have muscles that stabilize your torso. And if the muscles that stabilize the pelvis are weak, the muscles that stabilize the torso are gonna have to compensate and they're gonna have to work harder than they were intended to and they're gonna strain and elicit pain. Mm-hmm. So if you have pain on one side of your back, I can almost guarantee you one of your hip muscles is weak and that lower back muscle is compensating. And actually, this is one of the great lessons to understand is that in more than 99% of cases, the cause of your pain, the actual tissue responsible for your pain is not where you're experiencing your pain. Although your left lower back muscle is straining, It's straining to compensate for another weakened muscle somewhere else. In this case, I would suggest it's one of your hip muscles. So you got to learn quite simply which muscles are weak, strengthen those, and then you don't have lower back pain ever again, as long as you sustain your strength. You never have it again. Mm. You don't have to go 
for an adjustment. You don't have to go for a massage. You don't have to go for doctor. You don't have to take medication. No epidural nerve block. No opioid. You just sustain your strength. Strengthen your muscles. And you never have pain again. Yeah, that is interesting because when I was working out consistently, it did get better. And so that would make sense. You got it. The workout hasn't been consistent in the past two years. And I guess speaking speaking of that, have you seen a difference in chronic pain in your um, people that you've been treating over the past two years that you didn't see before? Sure, definitely. There's no question. Jeez, even so over 36 years, I put 60 pounds of muscle on. I went from 160 pounds to 220 pounds. And I live in Florida and for about a four to five month period, they closed the gyms. Mm-hmm. And it was for someone like me, it was horrible. It was horrible. I, I don't ever miss. And to be forced to miss was just terrible. I definitely weakened over that period of time. There's no question now at my weight and my size, it's not going to lead to pain, but certainly the inability to strengthen definitely allowed. And I mean, I, I hear a lot of people talk about this. They call it COVID weight they put on, you know, people put it next to weight on the COVID. And, and, you know, you were forced to stay home more, right? Yeah. You weren't allowed to have high levels of activity. If you were a weightlifting person, you couldn't weightlift. I mean, it's, you know, it's not that bad a way of putting it that you may have put on some extra weight because of it. So yeah, definitely strengthen your self-discipline because you had to keep that up during that time. And if you didn't have that, then if, if you don't have access oh. to the gym, it's, I mean, even if you have the right mindset, it's terrible. They yeah. shut that down, man. They shut that down nationally. They shut gyms down. It hurt here, especially in LA because it's a way of life. Yeah. So yeah, terrible. It was yeah. terrible. It was, it was horrible. So um, yeah, definitely. And, and now people have to try to just like now, it's more like what you're saying. You got to try to get that mindset back. You got to try to get focused. Try to, what I want people to understand about exercise strength training is I really kind of want strength training to be perceived as a way of life. It's an element of life. Yes. So everybody brushes their teeth. Everybody cleans, showers themselves and you know, showers their hair and cleans their hair and tries to eat the best they can. Why can't we get strength training culturally to be perceived as a way of life? Something that enhances your overall health, not just your muscle mass, not just looking buff, but your cardiovascular health, pulmonary health, gastrointestinal health, immune health, all those things are affected by having a strong musculoskeletal system. So that to me is what I, I kind of see myself as, um, you know, Johnny Appleseed. I, I, I like to spread the message of strength training, not just in terms of resolving pain, but the, the overall systemic value for it. It's just so good for you. You know, they used to say that weightlifting strength training is the fountain of a fountain of youth. I, I believe it fully. Yeah. I really do believe it at any age. You can start any age. So what are some uh, of some tips that you feel as far as exercises that, you know, you think are at least just maybe top five that you feel is a part of life in general that you should keep at least do besides walking and stuff like that. Well, see, that, I was about to say, <laughs> you just beat me to the punch. 
So <laughs> it, with the, if, I, if I said, everybody on the planet, what's the best thing you could do yourself? Everybody would raise their hand and say, walk. walk. Right? Everyone thinks walk. But that's really not true. Okay. Because let's say that you're having back pain and let's say that you're having knee pain or ankle pain. And the re reason for that is that your front thigh muscles, your quads, are overdeveloped compared to your hamstrings because of the fact that you do everything in front of you. You stand up and sit down in front of you. You walk, you climb stairs. Everything is done in front of you. And if you've done this to a point, you could actually cause this imbalance. Now, your quad attaches to your pelvis on the top and attaches to the knee on the bottom. Well, if you continue to walk, walk, walk and do nothing but um, and do nothing to counterbalance the strengthening of the quad without the hamstring, your quad is going to shorten and it's going to cause you to arch your back excessively. You're going to be leaning forward all the time and you're going to have massive knee pain every time you try to sit up, stand, try to go upstairs. So walking more when that happens isn't the answer. It's actually making things worse. Okay. So to me, if you want to say, what's the best thing someone could do for themselves? It's achieve balance of muscle. Front to back, side to side, top to bottom. Okay. Nice. And the concept here is that if you were to look at me from the side, what I'm looking for optimally if I took a line down my body, I want to see my ear, my shoulder, my hip, my knee, and my ankle all in one perfect alignment. When that's happening, my body is perpendicular to the ground. Which way is gravity pushing perpendicular to the ground? So it means my skeleton is in the way of gravity, and it's keeping me up. Nice. It doesn't cost any energy for your skeleton to work, right? So when you're in that proper alignment, you're being very energy efficient in life and your skeleton is doing what it was designed to. Then what it also does is it keeps the joint surfaces of each of your joints in perfect alignment. Why that's important is when the muscles move joints, they move the joint surfaces in a way that they've got to be pushed together so that the joint can move. Well, the more congruence in congruency there is to surface areas, the more muscle can apply force to it without it becoming over excessive and straining or irritating the joint surfaces. Okay. So by having muscle balance, you maintain perfect congruency of joint surfaces. By maintaining balance of muscle, you also maintain the optimal length of your muscles. So your muscles will be at the optimal length so they can create the optimal force so now all your activities are done at the most advantageous ability. So you have the less, ch less chance of injuring yourself. And to be honest, the most enjoyment in doing your activity because you don't have to worry about hurting yourself. That's why the essence of balance, and people talk about this, I mean, in other esoteric concepts, mind, body, spirit, right? We could talk about carbohydrates, proteins, fats. You Balance is an essence of life. It, it's where people are their happiest. It's, it's, where, it's where just peace is found. Yeah. So in terms of the body, that, that to me is, is, is the best message I could describe to people as a general rule. If you can make your side-to-side -side muscles, your front-to-back muscles, and even your top-to-bottom muscles equally strong, you have your best chance for musculoskeletal health. And the best chance to, to limit injury and to function optimally.
I've heard there's benefits to like walking backwards. That that's the idea of offsetting the natural imbalances that that develop walking forwards. So if someone wants to, let's say you're walking on a treadmill Uh and you're going to walk 20 minutes forwards, I wouldn't disagree with you then turning around and walking backwards, say 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. At least something to offset the muscles in the front of the body from shortening. So yeah, um, when I treated people in person and there's a treadmill available, I always believe in walking backwards. I pushed a lot of that aspect, walking backwards. I think it's a very good thing to do. Do you treat people online now or do you only um, treat physical? So so, um, I had a practice up till 2012 when I lived in New York. Eventually I moved down to Florida. I was doing a lot of in-person stuff, going to people's houses. Um, I, I, I've, um, I did a PBS special in 2015. And so as one of the gifts, um, they ended up being able to get me Hay House as my publisher for that book called The Pain, Pain Cure Rx. The book is sold here, Canada, England, Australia, India, and South Africa. So as a result of that, people globally started finding out about me and people started contacting me. So they didn't no one was going to come here for three or four days from all over the world. So at that time, Skype had just really started coming into usage. So I started using Skype. There was teleconferencing before Zoom. So it's been a good six, seven years now that I've been doing teleconferencing. To me, the most exciting thing is literally in the next about two weeks, I'm opening a new facility in Jacksonville. And um, it's just going to be a blown out gym and, and I'm just so excited and people will be able to come in person, even if you you know, you'll obviously come locally, but the nice part is, let's say you come, you want, you know, you're in California and you're like, I think the Yacht Method is the answer. Well, you could come for three days, stay at a local hotel, get treated and then go back. And so I think it's going to even afford people a, a reason to now come even from distance um, to get the method. So I'm extremely excited about this. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's very meaningful for me. If you don't mind, uh, can you give us one of your success stories with treating one of your patients? I'll give you kind of, this isn't the most, I'll give you one, um, one that shows the logic and then I'll show, tell you about like the most extreme. All right. So here's a guy. He's on a train. He steps off the train and gets massive pain around his knee. So bad, he can't stand, he can't walk, he can't do anything. Goes on for about two weeks, and he just can't take it. Goes to the orthopedist, gets an MRI, he's told he's bone on bone, and he needs a joint replacement. The guy happens to find out about me through word of mouth, he comes. Now, I want you to start pure logic. Let's just start from the mechanism, okay? So the guy's on the train, he's never had knee pain. He takes a step off onto a platform and gets massive knee pain. He's being told that bone on bone is the cause. Bone on bone implies that if this is the thigh bone and this is the lower leg bone, there's no space anymore. You're bone on bone. Okay. So they're saying that bone on bone created the pain when he stepped onto the platform, which would then logically have to imply he wasn't bone on bone the second prior when he was standing on the train. 
Right. Do you think that you could create spontaneous bone on bone? Oh, yeah, that's what yeah. I was wondering. Like, that sounds pretty insane to me. Something that has right? worked over time. Yeah. Right, that's right. So that doesn't really make sense to me. Next, if he was bone on bone, you would expect there's a very low, a severe loss of range of motion in the joint because there's no space. Well, when I checked him, he had full range of motion. Another strike. Next, look at where you should have pain if you're bone on bone. If this is the thigh bone and this is the lower leg bone and the, you're bone on bone, you would expect to have pain on the sides of the joint where it's called the joint line, which is the space between the thigh bone and lower leg bone, right? That would make sense. Well, they didn't have the pain there. But when I pressed on the attachment of his hamstring tendon, which attaches really close to the knee, he went through the roof. Mm. And when I must press back from the tendon into the belly of his muscle, in the back of the thigh, he went berserk. When I muscle tested him, he had no strength in that leg. Mm. When I flexibility tested him, he was extremely short. So based on that presentation, I said, I hate to tell you, my friend, but I think you just strained your hamstring. That, which makes sense, more sense, because maybe he just stepped awkwardly. Maybe he wasn't prepared for the way he weight-bared, and the load was too great for the muscle, so it strained. So all I did was massage, stretch it, and, and did some strengthening, and he was pain-free that time. It came back one maybe time more, and that was the end of it. He was done. Never got the joint replacement ever, right? That's the use of presentation of symptom, understanding the mechanism of injury. You, this is logical analysis of a circumstance to identify what is the tissue responsible for the symptom, okay? Now, the most extreme case I've ever had was a lady who had a progressive scoliosis over 40 years that was then being scheduled to have a rod put in from her skull to her pelvis, her entire spine. She was told that she needs to eat and put on about 20 to 30 pounds because even after the surgery, the pain was going to be so bad for a year, she was going to have to lay on a couch for a year and she would be in such bad shape, she's going to probably have to live off the fat of her body that she's going to be asked to put on now. That's what she was told. It is such an extreme surgery. They were going to have a heart specialist in there because they were going to have to stop her heart to get the rod into the spine. That's, that's what she's being told. Her pain is in her lower back. That's what she's being told. That's the cause of it. So she finds me through some weird series of events. And again, she's, not pointing, I could press on her spine as hard as I want. And she's not saying that's her pain. Her pain was a couple of inches off to the sides of her spine. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how anyone could say something scoliosis is the cause of her pain. It just didn't make sense. What she was describing were these two muscles that attach in the lower back from the rib cage to the pelvis. And so I started doing some, oh, by the way, over, over that period of time, she had become addicted to prescription pain medication. And over the last decade, the pain medication stopped working. So, so she, she was in pain, extreme pain every day, which is why she was considering this extreme surgery, mm-hmm. right? She had reached the end. There was nothing left for her. Mm-hmm. So I established there was a muscular deficit causing a pain. And we start treating it, doing some exercise, massage and stretch. And over the first treatment or two, she's already noticing there's a decrease in her pain. Within about three months, she said she's pain-free. She is pain-free and fully functional. This lady lived, I live in Florida. She lived in Indiana. 
and she lived on a lake. And her favorite thing in life to do was to water ski on a single ski. And she hadn't been able to do that in decades. Well, she went back to Indiana and water skied on a single ski after it. Wow. That is extreme. Yes. How big is the community of doctors that practice this? One. Me. Wow. <laughs> that, that, that's the difficulty. <laughs> but, but, but the good news is, is that me and my friend who's helping me from a business standpoint believe that the opening of this facility is the stepping stone, the springboard that is going to enhance awareness. And this thing's going to really start catapulting. And we will need others to be trained. And I've already created a certification program so that people could be certified, at least in the Zoom aspect of it, so that wherever you are in the world, there will be a practitioner available for you uh, to get the proper evaluation and treatment through Zoom. Um, we'll, it'll take a little bit longer in the in-person stuff because there's stretching and massage involved and that you have to be very careful with. But um, we are beginning to prepare for what we think is going to be an onslaught. I guess uh, one another question that kind of jumped up. Um, how has it been um, with um, report, I guess, with pregnancy, women, uh, pregnant women and having muscle issues and this. Okay, good. Another great question. So I had this lady, everything I'll tell you is empirically based. I don't make anything up. There's no, there's no hypotheticals here. After 28 years and thousands of people, I've pretty much seen almost some weird thing in almost every regard. So I have this lady and she's pregnant. She's only about four months pregnant, five months pregnant, something like that. But um, she has sciatica, very, very common. Very common for pregnant women to have sciatica. Why? Because with the fetus growing in the belly, it creates an eccentric load, a load that's in front of you. That means that that's going to have to be supported somehow. So how is it supported? Muscles somewhere in the back of the body. Where in the back of the body? In the gluteal region, right where the piriformis muscle is. And the piriformis muscle sits very close to the sciatic nerve. So if the piriformis is to strain in supporting this eccentric load, it can thicken and impinge on the sciatic nerve. Mm -hmm. That's why sciatica is such a common thing for, the, for a pregnant woman. Now, this is the bad part about this. Pregnant women can't take medication. So if you had sciatica, right, they'll give you an epidural nerve block. They'll give you opioids. They'll give you antidepressants. They'll give you a lot. But pregnant women can't take anything. So what does that lead to? You know what the scary part is? It's bed rest. Mm -hmm. So if you're having sciatica and you're pregnant, you are told you have to be on bed rest until the extent of the pregnancy is over. You, you, that's like a freaking death sentence to a pregnant woman. She, she wants to embrace the, this experience, mm -hmm. right? As with her spouse. And, and I mean, come on, man. To tell someone that they have to lay in bed until they give birth, it's insanity. So this lady was having that, and because I understood it was muscular, and I knew which muscles, I was able to have her do isolated strength training, which is the type of, of training I develop, which is where you're working one muscle at a time. You're in a very stable circumstance. We're applying the right amount of resistance, just enough to cause the muscle to adapt and get stronger, but no one's going to strain. No one's ever strained in the 28 years I've been doing this. And so I was able to resolve the sciatic, but here's the best part. She was able to 
kneel and literally get down to the floor and stand up again mm-hmm. without any problem, being pregnant all the way. It was up to like the seventh or eighth month. And the funniest store part of the story is she told me she couldn't do that before she was pregnant. Wow. Just think how sick that is. She's eight months into it. And now because she's controlled her muscle issues and strengthened herself, she can now get down to the floor and get up in a way she couldn't even before she was pregnant. So mm. it's very, you got, so you see, obviously I get very exuberant, very excited. Very, <laughs> it's very rewarding, man. This is, this is, it's a gift. I've been given a blessing and, and I see it that way. And in my mind, my responsibility is ethically and morally to reach as many people as possible who are seeking it and make it available to them. And, and that's why I do this. That's why I do try to do podcasts, um, whatever is necessary to make people be aware that this exists. I don't know if I'm going to, you know, if I'm on here and someone hears this, they're going to say, wow, this sounds like the greatest thing in the world. But at least maybe you'll reach out and you could check out my books. I have my, my YouTube channel is Dr. Mitchell Yask. There's probably 250 videos on there, all educational based, all based on trying to explain people different situations, different joints, different types of pauses, uh, different ways of strengthening, how to strengthen properly so that people have applicable information that they could apply and help themselves to resolve their pain. So um, it's it's uh, many people have jobs and careers. I'm on a quest. <laughs> I'm on a life quest. That's the way I would describe this. <laughs> yeah, and the human body is amazing. So, you know, just to, to figure out some of the hacks or, or even just the things outside of you know medicine, because I'm not really big on, you know, medicine or big medicine. I have to take a BC powder if I have a headache at the most, but I rarely ever get sick. And like right. I said, I've never been big on, on medicine or, or just going to the hospital or anything like that or taking anything over the counter just from anything like that. No, and I try to stay rather fit. I'm just turned 39. So okay, great. Yeah. So yeah, you know. I, I would just make one point about that. The medical establishment in the pharmaceutical industry and the healthcare industry want to make you think that they can provide you health. Mm. They don't provide you health. There's only one person who could provide you health. That's you. Right. And I always try to describe the four pillars that lead to health. That is strength training, proper nutrition. And you notice I don't say diet. I said proper nutrition, sleeping properly and stress reduction. Mm-hmm. Any person who follows those four pillars, I strongly suggest are going to be healthy and won't warrant any interaction with the medical system, the pharmaceutical system, or the health insurance or healthcare issue. I'll be very honest with you. I mean, if I've gone to a, a medical institution in the last 10 years once, I don't even know if I have, to be honest with you. I don't mm-hmm. have any interest in it. I don't, I know for sure that if I strength train and I eat right, and more, most important, I reduce my stress levels and try to find joy in life in every day, my system, the reason everyone has, uh, you know, heart disease or kidney stones or is because disease is entering their body and it's attacking a particular organ. So what's the best thing you could do for yourself? Not address your kidney stone, not address cirrhosis of the liver or a heart attack. It's to stop disease from entering your body. 
Right. Don't let it get in there to attack one of your organs. That's the answer. And the way you do that is to live a healthy lifestyle. Keep your cells strong. Keep your immune system strong. Provide the proper nutrients for good health. That, to me, is the answer as to is the best way you could live your life. And then not depend on anybody else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Prevention. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's all about prevention. No doubt about it, Mom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Yaz, before we get ready to close it out, um, is there any major projects you'd like to share with us? And we really, you know, we've, this has been an amazing um, conversation. Um, I love your energy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I think I was, I was chosen because of that. I don't know. I, I I'm just extremely excited and, um, I've been doing this almost 29 years now, and I hate to say it, but today is to me the equivalent of 29 years ago. I, I have as much, if not more excitement now, because I think I've been, I, I've been taught more. I've been given more opportunity to learn. I, I think I've become a better communicator. I, I try to speak it away in a way that people can understand. And after, I mean, just to really put this into perspective, I've treated hundreds of people who walked up to me, who literally have said to me, I am putting a bullet in my head tomorrow if you don't resolve my pain. I cannot live another day on this earth like this. I, I, I've tried everything. I've done everything I can. I just can't do this anymore. You're it. And if you don't do this, I'm, I'm done. And it's very sobering. It, it just focuses your attention. It makes you feel the significance of the issue. And it makes me want to do everything I can to get the answer for that person, for that particular issue. And I think it's what's driven me as hard as it has. Um, and I, I guess because of all that stuff, and, and I've had a lot of success in this stuff, um, I want to continue to do it and, and make it more and more available. So I, you know, I, I, think, I think that's why I am the way I am. Well, we definitely appreciate all of the work that you're doing and even like, Muscle wise is something I've always over the years since we've been together, I've tried to balance out my muscle properly. And even of course, over these few years, I haven't been hitting the gym properly. Um, but biking and all of that stuff is something that I noticed as soon as I stopped being active, the little bit of weight that I've gained ever, you know, it's, it's about six pounds. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I, I noticed it. So that's something that definitely, you know, made me want to commit this year, of course, to just being a, a lot more consistent now that we've had access back to the gym and can't say things are normal. Not, not sure what's right up for the rest of this year. But, you know, it's, I'm glad that you added that or just have in, informed us on the importance of muscle balance. Yeah, yeah I, I would just want to make this point that it's great for anyone who says, listen, I want to be active. I want to incorporate exercise into my Lifestyle, I'm great with that, but just recognize that activity-based exercise, swimming, jogging, bicycling, Pilates, yoga, any of these things incorporate groups of muscles working together to perform the activity, which is to say if there is a weakened or imbalanced muscle, you cannot identify it, pull it out, and resolve that weakness or imbalance during that activity. Mm. So that activity, as much as you think you're doing a good thing for yourself, 
may lead to compensation and eventually causing pain. Even though you have the best intentions, you just don't understand that doing that activity could be um, harboring and sustaining weakness or imbalance. So my position to everybody is see isolated strengthening as the core of everything you do in life and recognize that if you're going to strengthen your bicep, you better strengthen your tricep. If you're going to strengthen your chest, you better strengthen your back. If you're going to strengthen your quad, you better strengthen your hamstring. And you just have to get that general understanding how to do that. And that becomes the core from which everything else flows. So that to me is my most important message, I think, for people. Congratulations on wanting to incorporate activity and exercise into your life. Just recognize that activity-based exercise could lead to compensations towards weakness or imbalance that could lead to dysfunction and, and symptom. And you really want to try to incorporate some form of isolated strengthening. Definitely, definitely. Are there any um, projects or as far as links to how our listeners can contact you that you'd like to share? Sure. So the main project right now for me is just getting this facility open. But in terms of reaching me, um, you could reach me by email at drmitch at mitchellyots.com. It's D-R-M-I-T-C-H at mitchellyots.com. Um, you, I have my website, which is kind of easy to remember, Live Without Pains. It's plural because everybody doesn't have pain anymore. They've got many pains. <laughs> so livewithoutpains.com. And uh, there's a contact us button on there. Um, if you want to schedule a Zoom session, you could do that on your own on there. You pick the day and time that you want. Um, the sessions are videotaped. You just need a resistance band in a chair. It's real easy to do those. Um, so those are the two primary ways of reaching me. If you want access to learn more about the Yas Method, I think the best way is the YouTube channel. Search Dr. Mitchell Yas. Go on the channel, 250 um, uh, videos of every type of, of um, uh, description, understanding, and, and it's free content, which makes it even nice. better for people. Nice. We appreciate that. And for the listeners, everything Dr. Yas mentioned will be in the description. And for the podcast, you can find us at americangypsy.com. And we also have consistent self-improvement merch at luamli.com. And thank you again to our listeners. You also can find um, some music, some of my music under Classic Carpenter, K-L-A-C-C-I-K-C-A-R-P-E-N-T-A. And that's on Spotify, iTunes, Tidal, um, YouTube, and all major platforms. Thank you again. Um, for listening, everyone. Thank you again, Dr. Yas, for your time and consideration of coming to talk to us. And consistent self-improvement to everyone. Peace. Peace.